UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I have with me uh, Martin Short on Time Willis. <laughs> I never know what you're going to say, and yeah, yeah unfortunately, um, you know, life's busy, man. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. so busy right now that you can't do the most important thing uh, that you do in your life, which is my show? I know, I know. <laughs> I actually... <laughs> I actually have someone uh, waiting for a business appointment. That's all. Oh, okay. Yeah, you yeah. got to make some money. So that's a little bit. Important. Yeah, just just enough to live. Yeah, because if you lose your house and everything, and you're in the street, it'll be more difficult for us to do these shows. It will, but I am prepared to do it under the bridge if I have to. <laughs> Great. All right, so let's yeah. get into it. Uh, first, I'll talk about my guest. Uh, I don't know if you've had a him on your show, but I've got Antonio Paris. No. Professor Antonio Paris. I've had him on before, uh, a few uh, about a year ago or so, I think. But he moved to Florida. He was in uh, Washington at that time. At that time, he was working like with the Pentagon and DoD, and now he is wow. a professor of astronomy. Yeah, so he's in astronomy and technology. He's had a lot of exciting uh, um, positions in aerospace, and he's actually an astronaut candidate right now, so it's a chance he'll go to space. But he's also into UFOs, and he's done UFO research uh, for quite a while. He, he pops up at conferences here and there, but of course he's a busy guy. However, he's been getting in a lot of news articles, including like Discover Magazine, and some of you who follow uh, you know, our daily news headlines, or my Facebook might have seen some of these stories because I've posted, I think, all of them I've come across. But they are trying to reproduce the wow signal. Huh. Um, yeah, so this famous signal that uh, could potentially be extraterrestrial. And uh, he's gotten a lot of press for this because he's, you know, written a paper and he's a bona fide astronomer. So, yeah, pretty exciting. Well, I talked to Seth Shostak about the wow signal. He said it was not... In today's world of SETI, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is the – well, I'm sure you're going to get into it with the interview, but um, is there a big difference? Between? Between um, what they're hearing today and the wow signal? Well, they hear – it sounds like they hear a lot of, of varieties uh, now because they could, they've done so much more. And uh, so we get into that a bit. But uh, so, for instance, it was a hydrogen signal. Not that I completely understand, you know, what that means. But uh, at the time, that was very rare. But now it's not. Uh, however, we get into what that means uh, and uh, essentially how and their experiment. Uh, they're essentially the leading um, hypothesis as to what that signal was, uh, as far as if it was something, you know, an uh, a celestial object, that's what they're going to test to 
either prove huh. that to be true or prove that to be wrong. So, wow. But we yeah. talk about that. Um, so pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be a good show. Mm-hmm. So a lot of fun. But before we do that, with your limited time, let's get into as much news as we can. And why don't you go ahead and start us off? All right. We're like, we, 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 we have time. We have plenty of time. We're, oh, okay. we're fine. Yeah. All right. So, so I Martin, like to... not so short on time, Willis. <laughs> I'll make it work. All right. All right. So this is an interesting case. And I love some of these old cases that are uh, posted by Roger Marsh on um, on your website. And this one is an Idaho witness sketches details from a low hovering UFO. And this one looks like all kinds of things. This happened back in 1977, and it's a disc shape. And I encourage the listener to check it out. It's a real funky looking um, disc. If I've ever seen one, it has like a, I don't know what else to call it. It looks like a, a nipple or top or something. It's really strange. It, it looks like some type of a baby Whoa. pacifier or something. I'm not some sure. Some sort of protrusion. Yes. Um, and um, it seems to me there was some other discs from way in the past that had some type of uh, protrusion coming up like this. But anyway... This happened back, and this guy uh, uh, registered the date as May 5th, 1977, and he noticed this thing that was hovering over his the roof of his neighbor's house um, as he pulled in the driveway, and um, he didn't actually report this until just, uh, just recently, March, um, going all the way back to then, and so that's a good point. Someone can still report these things. doesn't matter how far back they are. So as he looked up from the road, um, he seemed to hear in his mind like an authoritative male voice saying, this is not of this world, which is kind of unusual. Um, that's what he reported. And he got out of the truck and he watched it for 20 or 30 minutes. And his passenger did not stay outside with him. She went immediately into their home as she was concerned for her safety and ch- her children there, were there as well. But check out the drawings. This is really quite incredible. And there's some um, a drawing of the street where it was. Everything is uh, pretty detailed. Yeah, the drawings are fun. They remind me of like uh, some old uh, Da Vinci or or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Because there's so many detailed notes uh, mm-hmm. oh, that yes. they have around. They're annotated it. Yeah. for sure. Yeah, this heavily annotated. Fog swirling around it, and and the nature of the the base of the craft and everything so yeah really interesting sighting i agree now and then we're in the article does it mention is this his original drawings that he did right at right at the time it happened uh you know what? i don't remember I, i'm assuming so but uh i don't know that uh roger addressed that yeah there. yeah because i know that's really important if anyone has a sighting out there is to immediately write down uh without being interrupted by anyone or any other witness as a matter of fact Make sure that you write your, you draw your own pictures and notes as soon as you can, right after you have a sighting. That's a good question, though. I mean, that would be important to know um, mm-hmm. as to when those were were made, and it doesn't say. So, good question. Yeah. So, just to review a bit, I mean, I had a show all about this uh, a couple weeks ago, but um, the next news story here, <laughs> but. Uh, I did want to mention it and and hear if you um, know much about this case, but that American Airlines UFO report that was heard on the ham radio. Oh, yes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I interviewed Erica Lukes about it, right. and then I, I wrote up a story about it, um, and it is pretty exciting. I mean, it's really neat that they the guy heard this on his ham radio <clears throat> when he was listening to communications, and then uh, you know the researchers were able to find the audio online in the airline uh, audio archives, and then do a FOIA request to get an official copy of that particular transmission. And uh, so it's pretty cool. Now, um, has this, have they actually gotten the uh, documents returned? Or is it tapes they're actually looking for? No, they have. They've already, it took only six weeks for the FAA to get back to them. That's uh, that's kind of record time from what I hear. Isn't it? Yeah, that's yes. really surprising that they got back so quickly, which is nice. It seems like the FAA gets back fairly quickly uh, with whatever they're going to get you, if they're going to give you anything. But yeah, uh, really surprising that they very quickly came back with radar data, um, some, I guess, logs, and uh, the uh, audio. Now, names and stuff aren't in there, so they don't have the name of the pilots and everything. But um, And the only concern is that the researchers feel that the audio might have been edited. Um, ah. It's difficult to say or not because in the transmission, the guy says, I see a bright orange square. We're flying over it. Um, and he asks, do you know what that is? And the tower says, no. He says, um, it's below us. Uh, it's been there for a while now. We don't know what it is. Uh, what town are we close to? And they say, Nephi, Utah. And he says, okay, cool. Now I'll go see what I can find. So uh, Mark D'Antonio, for instance, has said it's a possibility that there was a controlled fire below him on the ground, and uh, that could be what it was. And and there were some uh, radar uh, um, hits there, but uh, as the radar researcher says, um, that could be due to you know uh, it. They're erratic. They're kind of all over the place. It's not like one thing moving. And so Mark's argument is that smoke does show up on radar and that's what it could have been so that's a possibility however the person who originally heard the ham radio uh, said he thought he heard them say that this object was a mile wide and it was keeping pace with them Um, we don't have audio to confirm that that's what they said but that's what the the witnesses wow that's that's too bad you don't have that now I I've actually have heard of um, and I'm sure you heard this too of one square-looking orange UFO, and that was uh, Jan Harzen's uh, sighting when he was young. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Well, but oh the... yeah, I've had him on the show several times. We got an interview on our website about with him on that. Um, but uh, but that wasn't a mile wide, though. Well, that was very different, though. That also had these weird, like devices on it, like these landing pads, and and. Like he said, springs. So like this technology that looked really old. Um, wow. Yeah, his sighting is really weird. It uh, is. Yeah. I forgot about the springs. You're right. Yeah. So pretty yeah. cool sighting he had there. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a really cool story. And just so people know that I do have that story up. So go check that out. Uh, really interesting stuff. Utah Mufon and Erica Lukes did a great job investigating this, along with UFOs Northwest and uh, William Puckett. Uh, now, so. before we move on, I've heard that it's very, very difficult to get any radar data from the FAA. Is this um, have they changed their tune about that? 
quite a little? I don't know. I hear conflicting things because uh, I had Robert Powell on not too long ago. Um, mm-hmm. You've had him on uh, recently yep. even. And he's talked about how it's easier to get radar data from the Air Force and the FAA. Um, however, they uh, very easily, it seems, got uh, radar data from the FAA. So these things uh, seem hit or miss. I mean, I had a hard time. I've always had a hard time getting stuff from the Air Force. I've gotten some, but um, uh, I don't know. I guess it's hit or miss. I don't know. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, weird. Otherwise, I guess the last uh, signing to talk about this is another Roger Marsh uh, posting from MUFON, another one with some sketches, and uh, but this one's recent. So this was seen at about 10 p.m. on March 8, uh, 2016, so about a month ago. And uh, this is a triangular shape, and again, somebody drew uh, pictures of it. So they um, said that they were traveling, you know, on the road when they saw a... Um, this craft coming uh, they saw a bunch of lights in the configuration at first they thought they were helicopters but as they got closer um, they saw that there was a, a color to the body of the object uh, against the dark sky uh, and that the lights were on all three corners and between there there were a couple of more white very 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 bright lights and uh, this thing kind of coasted over them um, they said they felt that it was flat uh, and in the middle they did see a red light that was uh, uh, a red light in the middle so kind of strange you know what's funny too is somebody noted uh, and online in one of the social media that it's weird there are lots of black triangle sightings but for the most part um, they the configuration of the lights is not always exactly the same right but you know a lot of times you do hear about a red or amber light in the very center mm-hmm. which um makes me wonder if if that has anything to do with p- propulsion or anti-gravity or who who knows what the heck it is mm-hmm. it reminds me of those cookies what are those cookies <laughs> with the, the jelly in the middle i was thinking oh that yeah 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 reason. Oh, yes. Uh, from Archway or something. Yeah, yeah those I are, know what you mean. Those are delicious. <laughs> Yummy. But, uh, yeah, so it is kind of weird. And uh, I had uh, Sean, Kevin Jason on last week talking about black triangles. And he had a good point because he felt that it might have seemed like they're rimmed with lights so that they can have those lights on in different configurations um, if they want. You know, I had someone... Um, write me one time and I thought it was kind of a good point they said why do they even have any lights at all why would they need lights mm-hmm. have, have you ever actually contemplated that yourself yeah well Lee Spiegel is always asking that question why huh. would a UFO an extraterrestrial craft need lights they wouldn't need any light so why do they have them he doesn't have an answer <laughs> and neither do I um, so uh, one answer could be for our benefit, um, or yeah. um, many of these things also, like Sean, Kevin, Jason feels, are uh, black projects. Or they're human-made crafts, so of course they would need lights. But um, even our craft, like our jets, go into a uh, IR mode. So essentially, they turn off all of their visible lights and they turn on. They use their infrared lights and they they put on infrared, you know. Uh, 
glasses so they can see uh, each other. So I don't hmm. know. It's a great question. And uh, I kind of like the idea for possibly our benefit because mm -hmm. I kind of feel like if, you know, they wanted to be seen, they would. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing about um, a black ops project or some a secret craft, um, boy, you know, it'd be kind of exciting if we actually have cracked out any uh, cracked the any gravity thing and also you know propulsion without sound that would be amazing but it's you know again uh, I've had a, um, another listener kind of argued with me about <clears throat> the fact that these are overpopulated areas why would they be if they're military and he says it's very simple that's how they need to learn how to um, fly over different terrains and I don't I don't know or it would be like Sean Kevin Jason feels. I mean, he had, I think he had made some great points. He had an amazing sighting where this black triangle appeared above him. Um, and so Lee Spiegel had a sighting like that. Uh, all, right. all the people yeah. here in Phoenix, Arizona had a sighting like that. So mm -hmm. his theory is that they're, they want people to see them occasionally. And it's like a psyops kind of project where they want people to believe that these black triangles are extraterrestrial. And uh, so they want to be seen above populated areas at times, just so we think that uh, you know they're they're not human. So uh, and that wow. kind of hide their technology in plain sight, and that that's makes a lot like, of sense. That's kind of like what they talked about, what they did with stealth, or the um, what was the real high altitude spy plane? Uh, the SR seventy one. Right. So they claim they basically let them be called um, UFOs because. Um, you know, along the same lines of what you're saying right here. Yeah, so who knows? But I'm like you. I think that that's really exciting. If they turn out to be human-made, um, I, I felt more exciting, excited about this when I was younger because it means that we have this amazing technology. Right. And this technology eventually will get released to the public. And that means in my lifetime, I could be taking a trip to space. And I, you know... I follow very closely the commercial space projects and the, the yeah. space tourism. Not that I know that I'll be able to afford to do anything like that. But the whole reason I've been in this field, and I actually was an engineering major when I first went into college because I wanted to be a rocket scientist. I wanted to get into this sort of stuff. I just you know, would love to travel in space. I mean, traveling in space fascinates me. And that may even be... It is amazing my main motivation for, for just uh, being in this field for ideas that either we can already do it or some other civilization can. So somebody can give me a ride, and I want a ride, damn it. <laughs> well, Alejandro, you're a rocket scientist to me. Oh, thanks, buddy. You... But, you yeah. know, hey, at the very least, we may get real hoverboards out of this. Oh, you know? yo, I wouldn't touch that. <laughs> I'm too old and too clumsy uh, I don't want to get on a longboard. You know, all the kids are doing these longboards and stuff. I'll kill myself. <laughs> or at least I'll fall down and it'll hurt a lot. And I guess when you get older, you've fallen down more and you realize that falling down actually hurts a lot. Yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, especially when you're in the ice and snow in the, the East Coast. But you would get always... on a hoverboard? No, 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 no. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> <laughs> now, Luke Skywalker kind of hovercraft like thing that would be fun oh yeah yeah just punch in uh, where you want to go and just sit back and relax mm -hmm. that'd be fine 
pop your droids in the back seat and <laughs> go for a ride. Right. All right. Well, that's it. You have any other news you wanted to talk about, buddy? Not that I can think of. Okay. Have you shaved Except your head I am, yet? Oh, I am shaving my head in uh, two days. Wow. And uh, I'm starting to get butterflies, but yeah. I'm just gonna just gotta have it done. I'm just gonna do it. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, if you haven't listened before, that's um, I'm raising money for children with cancer and their families, and uh, you can find that information on the sidebar over at podcastufo.com, and that's coming up in two days. I'm gonna be bald like a cue ball. Wow, that's gonna be interesting. Yeah. Cool. Hey, and we hit uh, we. We're at seventy six percent of the goal, so oh, we're awesome! We've had some great donations. Awesome, that's great. So everybody, donate. It's worthwhile. That's right. Thanks, Alejandro. Yeah, thank you. So thanks for being on the show yet again, Martin. Let's go ahead and listen to this exciting interview with Professor Paris. I am very happy to welcome Professor Antonio Paris to the show. I think last time you were on the show. You weren't a professor. No, I was still up in D.C. doing uh, defense contractor uh, work and chasing UFOs up in Maryland and D.C. Mm-hmm. At the Pentagon. Well, you weren't chasing UFOs for the Pentagon, but you were working at the Pentagon? No, and that's what's the funny part. You know, when you are associated with MUFON and all of a sudden your real job, which pays the, the bills and, and, and all the other stuff, is at the Department of Defense – People love to merge the two. And the mm. first thing they'll say, well, since you are, uh, what do you know about UFOs at the Pentagon? And and then we go down that lane, which I hate to go down, but mm-hmm. two separate things. And yeah, so I'm no longer there. I'm here in, uh, in Florida uh, doing some cool astronomy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, your UFO work, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing, didn't have an impact, a negative impact on your job. That's not why you left. You left for for to pursue some other passions, right? Yeah. Um, basically, it was a family issue. My my dad had passed away, and my mother was up here in Florida or down here in Florida. And I had made that promise that if things got to the worst, I would move down to Florida to to be with my family. And that's basically what happened. Uh, nothing to do with my job. I'm still in contact with my friends and and my my bosses up in uh, in DC. And it was it was a uh, internal private issue that I had to uh, keep a promise. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're doing exciting stuff. You're a professor of astronomy at St. Petersburg College, right? Um, yep. And then you're also working at the Museum of Science and Industry. Yeah, so I'm the director of space programs there, and they initially hired me to manage and uh, and train the planetarium staff there as well. And we also have some contracts with NASA to to provide uh, awareness programs and outreach programs. And we expanded that, so we have several astronomy programs there, including like uh, telescope workshops, uh, astrophotography workshops. Um, uh, a new lecture series called Space Talk. So every month we have like cool topics like black holes and wormholes. So we went from two to three space programs to about 17 space programs at Mosey in just over a year. Mm-hmm. Cool. How exciting. And then <clears throat> you're also an astronaut candidate. Yeah. So that was about a year ago. I was accepted into a a project called Project Possum, and it's a private organization 
with NASA funding, of course, to uh, study the upper mesosphere up in Alaska. So that training actually brings for me this September, which is out here in the Daytona at Emory Riddle. And it's just a selection, which I'm really excited about. So the intent is that they will train a couple of dozen uh, candidates with the intent of launching in 2017. Uh, two to four astronauts. So I have a good shot. You know, it went from a, a couple of thousand in the pool of applicants uh, to the to the selectees like myself. And uh, so it's just an honor being accepted and doing the training. And uh, hopefully I get selected. You know, I'll work hard through the through the little academy that they have and make sure that I, I'll do everything I can uh, to make it on the flight. Mm-hmm. A flight to space. Yeah, it'll be a suborbital uh, launch, and so we'll just cross the Karma line. We'll do some uh, some uh, some imagery analysis of these uh, mesosphere clouds, and then they'll come back down and they'll go back up. So it's it's multiple suborbital flights. That is so exciting! How cool! I just... It is really cool, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm I'm really motivated, and I just hope like there's no like cuts in funding or things like that that'll that's just rain on my parade mm-hmm. but you know just being accepted is a big honor i'm really space geeking right now and i'm not <laughs> going to go there because i want to ask so much about space itself i want to get into yeah. ufos but especially because i just watched the spacex launch which luckily it was successful yeah that was pretty cool Come yeah on. and they've got the bigelow uh another yeah, the bigelow, uf uh, uh-huh. the uh, inflatable launch as well and that's going to be exciting and i was always a fan of that you know that's uh it's cheaper um uh, it's deflatable as well from what i read so and as far as i was i did some little research out there and allegedly they they want to use these for uh perhaps these uh, asteroid uh, redirect missions here in, in a couple of years oh wow that'd, that'd be pretty cool yeah so pretty exciting so he's another ufo enthusiast now to get it off, because I know people are going to be thinking about it, and just to get get it out of the way, yeah, I'm sure. sure people are thinking, okay, he worked for defense, he's working on these NASA projects. Um, do you have you gotten a sense? Um, some people, of course, are, are thinking, oh man, he must, uh, they must be hiding secrets, uh, <laughs> you know, and and Antonio must be uh, have had to deal with with people, uh, maybe the Men in Black visiting him or or stuff like this. Uh, has that ever happened to you? I mean, did you get the sense that there no. was some interest there? No. In fact, I would say that I myself have been has been branded as the Men in Black because <laughs> well, people see my you know I spent almost twenty years in the intelligence community, uh, worked at the Pentagon, did a lot of overseas stuff, and my hobby is just UFOs. They have nothing to do with each other, and it's just funny that you know when I used to work at the Pentagon. And I just written my first book. Uh, all the, all the all my colleagues and staff members in the Pentagon would laugh at me and like, you know, people are gonna ask that. Have you seen anything here because you work at the Pentagon? And it was it was funny. They were mocking me and they called me, you know, Mulder and all that funny stuff. And you know, twenty years in the government, and I've never in my life, you know, uh, heard or even wanted to look for stuff that related to UFOs. Um, and all the stuff that it's UFO related has been private on my own money. Um, even going out to area 51 where I, where, where I did some research in a documentary, again, nothing with the government, uh, that was on my own dime. Uh, and I would never, you know, I have no information whatsoever, whether or not the government is, is still doing any type of re- UFO research. Um, 
I, I think a lot of the this stuff comes from just people, you know, and it's not a, it's not their fault. It, it's just a lot of TV, a lot of science fiction, and they try to put the two together. And and I can't go, I can't walk three feet, you know, after talking about a brief, and the, and the, it, immediately the words conspiracy or Antonio's mm-hmm. part of the conspiracy, and I laugh at it, you know, because and there's nothing I can do. No matter what I do, uh, I, I will always be part of the conspiracy, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and that's just not me. There's other friends that I know that are part of MUFON, and they they have government jobs, just like I used to have, and and they get the same the same stuff. Right. Yeah. Most of the people I knew like were retired. But for instance, um, yeah. John Schusler, who ran MUFON, James Carrion, or he worked for NASA. James Carrion worked in intelligent. He ran MUFON for a while. One of the board members retired recently. Tom Dooley worked in intelligence and then of course john alexander worked in intelligence but they all have a similar story to you their jobs were just day-to-day jobs and people knew they had an interest (laughs) in ufos but it didn't have anything to do they would lecture or tell their colleagues about ufos but it's not Mm -hmm. like officially you know or job related anything like that ever came up and that's anywhere you go, whether you're a firefighter, a, a police officer, or a baseball player, or the president of the United States. Everyone has an interest in UFOs. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I had a lot of extra time to to join MUFON, become a star team member, and an assistant state director, and and have you know, and you know, it was a good experience. I had really good investigations. I had heard some interesting stories. Learned a lot about the, you know, the MUFON's methods of investigations and, um, and, you know, I was honored to be part of MUFON. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, 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 and all of those people and yourselves, you know, like you said, it happens to you as well. Uh, they yeah. get labeled. If they say there wasn't anything that they discovered, then of course they're lying and they're yeah, part of, of the conspiracy. But I've gotten to know all of those gentlemen very, very well. I've spent a lot of time. And they're just regular people with jobs, you know, regular jobs and lives who, like everyone else, like yourself uh, and myself, have an interest in the topic. Yeah, and I still have an interest, and I'm Mm -hmm. still occasionally looking at some really cool cases. Not too many here in Florida, but uh, we've got a couple cases. You know, I still have my team members up in D.C., Michigan, and, and, you know, we get a couple hundred cases a year, and we probably do maybe four or five good Mm -hmm. cases. Uh, a month and wow it's not, a, it's not a manpower thing it's it's just a we, we look at all the evidence and all uh, the credibility of the witness and out of every 10 cases we get we 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 narrow down to okay this case is is uh is reasonable enough to actually investigate you know and mm-hmm. it's not something like most cases where we get oh i saw something 25 years ago i'm like okay they, i can't do nothing with that right um so we still you know we're not as active as we were three or four years ago but I, I think we narrowed it down to that we don't have to be that active because most cases really, you know, come up with the same stuff. It's just a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. And I think what's interesting is all of this stuff that you do, and you still make times for you of make time for UFO research. So it seems like you have a pretty strong passion towards it. I do, and I, I and I'm you know I just had a talk. What is her name? And I had a talk with a lady. She's the MUFON state director in Utah. Erica and Lukes. I just had her on the show her. last that's week, her. actually. That's her. And we, we spoke about an hour on the phone yesterday. And she wants me to assist her in looking into these orange orbs and these orange lights that she keeps uh, – they keep reporting up in the Utah area. 
So we're going to talk again next week and start looking at that stuff. You know, is it related to anything coming out of the, the, the proving grounds in Salt Lake? Is it, uh, part of the whole, uh, what do they call that? The Skinwalker Ranch, uh, area. So she's interested in that. We reached out to each other and, uh, you know, I think this spring, this summer, I'm going to go out to Utah and, uh, perhaps do an investigation with her and her team. Mm -hmm. So in your investigation, or at least, it's one thing to have proof, I guess. It's another thing to have a, 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 a to speculate. But do you believe then um, that there is a genuine phenomenon? There's a mystery here when it comes to UFOs. Oh, definitely. You know, I, I cannot, I cannot tell you that. You know, what is it? Fifteen, twenty thousand reports a year, and I can't, I cannot tell you those are twenty thousand crazy people. There's legitimate stuff being seen. Uh, by very credible people, uh, highly skilled, intelligent people, sometimes even multiple witnesses, and and something's happening, right? Now, are they aliens? I don't know that. I hope they are. You know, that's we all want that, right? We, mm -hmm. We're all so interested in this. And, you know, I have not jumped that – I have not crossed that line yet. I've seen some really interesting cases. I've sat down with some highly intelligent people that have – no reason whatsoever to try to hoax or, 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 you know, get some fame out of this. And this is why I'm doing it. You know, I've done this for about 12 years now. And if I thought there was nothing to it and there were just a bunch of loonies, I would have let this a long time ago, you know. But I still get these occasional cases like, hmm, I need to call this gentleman or this lady and figure out what it is that they saw. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then it gets more interesting when you get two or three people that have no relations with each other sending the same reports and I, I think that's pretty cool now another thing that's pretty cool and you're getting a lot of media for this and and which was uh, kind of the the main reason we're having you on right now uh is um this project that you're working on and and it's exciting to see discover magazine and all of these places also excited about this project where yeah. you're going to try to recreate the wow signal correct yeah so uh the WAP signal is a is a you know forty almost a forty year old mystery that I've been interested in for a long time. Some of my colleagues have been interested in for a long time, and uh, you know the, the the short version is we detected a hydrogen signal back in seventy seven August seventy seven, and to this date we really don't know what it was. And and the way this came out was uh, Evan Davies, the colleague who wrote the paper with me, we were we were up in Washington D.C. Uh, last year. We had just left uh, the Smithsonian and the topic of the intelligence in the universe and, and the Watson that came up. And we said, it has to be something. You know, we, we, is this is a natural phenomena, is it extraterrestrial? But the big question was, why hasn't it returned? And, and the idea of the, the first thing that popped into my head was, could it be? Could it have been a, a, a long term or short, excuse, a long period comet or a short period comet? Because we know they have some hydrogen. And what you know, and Evan and I, you know, we have, we've got the intelligence background and the investigative background, and we 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 called this the crime scene. So we know that in August fifteenth, nineteen seventy seven, there was an emission an emission uh, signal that was detected. So we looked at that suspect. We looked at, at the uh, w what the suspect looked like, what time the suspect was in the crime scene area, and we had a lot, you know we read all the papers that were written by the VLA Ohio State, and they still could not detect. They, they still didn't know what it was. 
And we said, okay, let's revisit the crime scene. And we went to various uh, legitimate websites, including JPL, NASA. um, And we used something kind of like a Wayback Machine. So we entered a right of session and declination values and the date. So on August 15, 1977, on the very same day that the wow signal was detected, Oh, and by the way, in the very same area, which was in the constellation Sagittarius, there were two comets. And I said to myself, wait a minute, this can this can this be right? So we spent almost three months making sure that the data was correct, that the wow signal was in this exact area. The wow signal was at this time, which was exactly 2316 uh, Eastern Daylight Time. And we went back and checked three or four different databases to make sure that these comets were in that very same area, the same time, same date. And that's what it came down to. Hey, we've got a unknown 72-second hydrogen line signal, which fell in a specific uh, frequency. And then we did research for a couple months on comets and the anatomy of comets and, uh, and how comets transit and, and uh, some of the hydrogen that's emitted from these comets. So that's what it came down to. We have a crime scene with a description of the suspect. And now we have two suspects that fit the suspect's uh, background. But more importantly, we're at the crime scene the day this event happened. So that's what we're trying to do. So, you know, I cannot. It's takes too long for me to get uh, radio telescope time from the VLA or universities. Some of these people require like three or four years in advance, including including up to perhaps even a million dollars to get telescope time. So I said, you know what? I'm going to build wow. my own telescope. I'm going to build my own radio telescope. So I reached out to various companies that built professional radio telescopes for universities, and I narrowed it down to two companies that said, okay, it's going to cost about thirteen to $16,000. And I said, I'm going to start a crowdfunding uh, effort here. And we're close. We're almost up to $8,000 now. And that's the idea. It's it's not to debunk. It's not to find alien signals. It's to see uh, these two comets will come back around in January of 2017 and 2018. I'm going to shoot and point the telescopes and see if these comets, you know, could be the culprits. Wow. And the, the, the good part is, Alejandro, is that if they're not the comets, it's still good science because now we've mm-hmm. deduced those two guys. And so the important part, I think, of all this, you just said it, is that we have reopened the door uh, to a discussion, to something that's kind of been quiet for, for probably 20 years now, the wow signal. And the media attention, all the interviews I've done, uh, and all you know, and all the people I've talked to, it's not you know, like I wrote a paper. When I wrote this paper... I, I did my due diligence. I sent it out to SETI. I sent it out to Ohio State. I sent it out to probably 20 or 30 different radio astronomers. They all came back with questions. Um, a, a good handful don't think it's the comet, but they were like, go for it anyway. And, and the paper was peer-reviewed by the astronomy community. So I think we have a good chance of, at a minimum, is trying to figure out if these were comets or not. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. The VLA, so people know, that's the very large array in New Mexico. In fact, um, on my Facebook, that's what uh, where <laughs> I'm at uh, on that top picture. But um, I also want to add that uh, when the uh, the VLA 
Ohio State and several other organizations did go back in 1995, 96, 98, 99, and 2006, pointed their telescopes at that very same location for several weeks, and they detected nothing. So I went back and and uh, I wanted to make sure that the comets were not in the areas during all those searches. And guess what? They were not. Hmm. So that, that could be a reason why the signal was intermittent. They heard it once, and every time they went back, the comet was already gone and not in the area. So I, I'm assuming that not just me, but a lot of people with radio telescopes will be pointing the, the you know, the dishes uh, to Sagittarius here in January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's exciting. Now, uh, to understand this a little better, um, you said it was a hydrogen signal. How does a signal, or if I'm not sure if I'm even using the right terminology, but how is a signal hydrogen? Um, help me, uh, a very layman, <laughs> understand that. If you look at all the elements and all the things in the universe, they all have specific uh, frequencies. They emit specific frequencies. And in this case, in 1977, what was detected by the uh, the bigger telescope at the time was a very strong signal at the frequency that matches something known as the hydrogen line. And, and that is at 1420.405 megahertz. Comets, the hydrogen clouds of comets... Uh, have very similar uh, anatomies. You know, comets are basically dirty snowballs, and as they get closer to the sun, they melt, and the hydrogen is emitted into space. Some comets, like Hale-Bopp, have hydrogen clouds. It's just massive hydrogen cloud, sometimes millions of miles uh, in diameter. And if we have two comets with two massive hydrogen clouds, and those hydrogen clouds are basically the same frequency. Perhaps, perhaps they were the source of the of that signal in 1977. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. if it if it's on this hydrogen line, and uh, you know that's not something uncommon to find out on comets. Why why did they write wow? What makes it uh, a significant signal, and what makes it uh, potentially extraterrestrial? Well, two main things, and I think the the first one is that in 1977, almost 40 years ago, the radio astronomy world, uh, just like the, the technology world, was not as advanced as today. So looking up at the sky at that time and detecting something this strong was something that was very anomalous. It was like, wow, what is this? So when they saw that strong hydrogen signal uh, – for, out of surprise, they wrote "Wow" on it, and that became the nickname of the of the Wow signal. But again, mm-hmm. forty years later, when you look at all the astronomy blogs and some of the NASA websites, they have detected signals that are just as strong and similar because advancements in technology and radio astronomy, etc. So, and then going back to the second part of that question is that um, several astronomers, especially in the SETI community, back in the sixties and seventies. Uh, they postulated that the ex- uh, potential extraterrestrials will probably use microwaves or radio signals using hydrogen for communications um, for long distances. So, and I think so. Back then, back technology, that hypothesis that aliens will use the hydrogen line for techno- for communications, that is what uh, gave it the big emphasis of the wow. Mm-hmm. And is there anything else in the signal signal that? Indicates technology or could possibly. Or no, there's nothing. The the uh, the only two things that makes it a really exciting signal is that 
actually three things. It was very strong. It lasted for 72 seconds. And uh, the third one is it's never been redetected, um, mm-hmm. at least from the set, from that point uh, in the Sagittarius constellation. Mm-hmm. So when you were shopping around your, your hypothesis, essentially, uh, and there were some who said, mm, you know, some of these astronomers that said, we don't think it is a comet. Why yeah. Why do they think it possibly it would not be? Well, the, the idea was that or there they were uh, – I guess their personal, uh, I guess their idea was that um, there wasn't enough data to suggest that comets could emit radio signals that strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know when I told them, okay, but you have to read the background data. Like I'm not going to put everything in the paper. So in the bibliography, for example, there's a lot of data in there uh, from other astronomers to suggest that comets could potentially emit uh, strong hydrogen signals that way. More importantly, now we have two comets. So when you put the two hydrogen clouds together, it makes for a stronger and massive comet. And and more importantly, for a very rare event. Um, the unfortunate thing that I didn't talk about is that at that time, in 1977, the orbital parameters for these two comets placed them in the same location uh, for that rare event. And we won't see the same event again for about 600 years when the two comets are back in the same place. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when they come around in January, they're going to be in a different configuration. Will they not be as close? They'll be just as they'll be just as close. Our orbits follow the same orbits. My only concern is that it's been forty years, and these comets probably have lost some mass. So it's it, it's gone around the Derby forty times, and if, if there's anything we know about comets, is that they get smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So perhaps the radio signals um, won't be strong, but mm-hmm. you know. A, a, what I would really like to see is that uh, all this enthusiasm that's built up is that we're going to have uh, – there's already – one of my neighbors is already building his radio telescope for January. So we're starting to see, I think, a lot of people that are going to point their, their telescopes, and the more data we get, the better. And uh, my goal is to set up a network here in, in January where people can point their telescopes, and if they have any data, they can just submit it, and we can put it all collectively together. And who knows? May may you know? I have a good feeling it could be the comments. And if it's not, it's you know. Someone asked me the other day, "Are you going to be upset if it's not the comments?" And I'm like, I'm like, no. Why would I be upset? It's science, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exciting either way. I mean, if it is the comments, it's really exciting because um, you know you were able to lead the way to to make this discovery, and certainly the news will cover it quite a bit, and then we'll have an ending to the wow story. Finally, after all of these years. However, if it's not it, then it adds to the mystery and the mystery continues. The mystery continues and, you know, and we can look at other things. The good thing about the radio telescope is that it won't be dismantled. So the the intent is that in between research, uh, we're going to use it for other galactic research and we'll we'll switch out the receivers. And I'm I'm really interested in pulsars and quasars and I want to do some some of that research while the uh, the other comet comes around in 2018 um so it, it benefits everyone you know we're gonna try to figure out what this mystery is um if we if we figure if we detect that there are comets then that's great if they're not that's still great uh because we can re- rule that out and just like you you know we love a good mystery and if uh you know it's uh, it'll be a cold case if, if it's uh if it's not the comets, and we'll just continue looking for the answer. You know, I'm not looking to debunk it. Um, I, you know, 
I'm personally hoping that perhaps it could be extraterrestrial, right? That'd be kind of neat. Yeah. And, uh, uh, if it's not, then we, you know, we we keep looking. Mm-hmm. Now you're crowdfunding uh, the the radio telescope, correct? Yep. Cool. And how is that going? It's going pretty good. Um, I I didn't think I was gonna uh, get this far away this quick, and I think my goal was. $13,000 is about with the telescope, the receiver, and uh, telescope receiver and the LNA, the feed horn, would cost. So I was like, oh, my God. And the lead time for this is 16 weeks. So even when I get the money, it takes them 16 weeks to build it and send it. So I was like, wow. time is short. So when I put out the crowdfunding about almost three weeks ago, I was like, this is going to take forever. And I was amazed that we're, we're over halfway now. We're at. Uh, almost at 8000 Awesome. And so when do you have to have that money? Uh, no later than July. So we have plenty of time uh, to get it by July um, so we can submit the purchase order. Telescope will be done in – we're looking hopefully by August. And then I want to play with it, you know, September to December is to actually learn how to use it um, and perhaps do some extra research and then look at some other comets that might be in the area and then just get, you know, basically a rehearsal for January. Cool. So um, where are you crowdfunding it? It's at GoFundMe, um, and okay. it's just called the uh, Wow Signal Experiment. Okay, awesome. And uh, would you offer people, like, uh, if they donated, they could come, you know, in January maybe and check it out or something? Oh, yeah. So we, we do want to host, like, a little – Sky party, uh, uh, sky watches for regular astronomy, but we we we're already talking about hosting a sky watch for that night. Um, some rules like no cell phones um, and things like that because it'll ruin some of the re reception. But not only that, everyone that has been uh, donating so far, we're we're actually having a, a plaque made with everyone's name, it really micro, in, you know, encased in there. So everyone's name will be etched on to the actual uh, telescope, which would be kind of cool. That's really cool. Sweet. Yeah. Okay, that's going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be a fun, yeah. And it's uh, so science is, is fun, right? Uh huh. Science is awesome. So um, I feel anyway. But <laughs> uh, um, people tend to think of science like old, boring people in labs, yeah. you know, growing old and cheese doodles on their breath and it's not it's, it's fun and it's exciting and even today with social media and 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 all the networking involved uh, it gets even more exciting it is fun and i think people in the ufo field get frustrated because science sets a very very high bar yeah but and i think so a lot of people get um disillusioned and and they don't even want to strive for it but i think it's exciting i think that's it, it's something, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So yeah. how extraordinary would it be to get there? So why not strive to meet it takes that far? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think – and, and we you have to do it the right way. So it wasn't like I just said – I tweeted, okay, I, I think I know what the wow signal is. I'm going to go for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we worked on a, our paper for a year. So we did a lot of research. We had a lot of work. We talked to NASA – we visited several, you know, tons of locations that were related to NASA to make sure our data was correct. And then we peer reviewed it. We, we sent it to the Washington Academy of Sciences, which the, the chair up there is part of the uh, American Astronomical Society. 
they loved it. They sent it back and made, made us made us do some corrections. And it was so it's peer reviewed, researched. So that's part one. And it and some people just don't have the stomach or the patience to to do that kind of stuff, like writing for a year mm -hmm. before you physically go out and do the, the investigation and, and the research. Mm -hmm. Having worked with these people and being an astronomer uh, yourself. You know, what do you say to people who suspect that he has gotten signals, but they're hiding that information or yeah. that even if they did, they wouldn't get that to the public? You know, I heard that in the last few weeks, there's been all kinds of uh, conspiracies going around that Antonio uh, Seti is telling you they're not comments because they, they don't want you to debunk it or find the truth or that they do have radio signals. Um, you know, I don't like to as much as fun those things are and i read all the conspiracy websites and blogs for fun um i don't i seti is is what is a 40 50 year old entity people have come and gone that information would have leaked a long time ago and that's that's my gut feeling you know mm -hmm. like actual data not just rumors like this is what you know people deathbed confessions you know all that stuff that we hear at the ufo community i think something like that would have probably uh probably already would have been out in the open Mm -hmm. There's nothing to gain from that, you know. Uh, you know, I know that I know they are a nonprofit, and their and their their funds are driven by donations. But I would suspect that if if they did have something, bringing it out into the open would actually be potentially better for them because the the money would just pour in for like, okay, keep researching. Where you know, and um, so I just I don't think so. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's almost like there's two different ideas. There's the idea that um, SETI is just there for show. It's so the government can uh, pretend like they're looking for ETs, even though a lot of people don't know that SETI isn't a government organization. Or, yeah, uh, yeah for they the still most... think it's government. Yeah, yeah. And, and then there's the other train of thought or that's not as prominent in the UFO field, or, but in the mainstream is that this is uh, – scientists who are interested in the possibility of extraterrestrial intelligence yeah. putting their best foot forward and and at least doing something to try to discover whether or not uh that scenario is true yeah and, pe and most people don't understand that SETI is just is bigger than looking for life in the universe they are doing a lot of stuff uh in the astronomy field radio astronomy and during my own personal research, I've learned that SETI, because of SETI, the radio telescope technology has catapulted. I mean, they have gone from like ones and zeros and and, and those old computer cards to like the tech, the amazing technology we have today because of SETI. So just like Apple and and Google, the, those people that have catapulted technology in the astronomy world, SETI has 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 as, as as that's their part that's what they've done to us they've they've given us so much um and they're more than just life in the universe they're looking at galaxies now and and habitable worlds and extrasolar planets and so they're doing a lot of stuff uh that's not even study related Mm-hmm. right which is pretty exciting yeah and that's why i it seems like you know since you are familiar uh a lot of people are concerned that uh they, the SETI community doesn't respect UFO research. Do you find that to be the case? Yeah, I find that to be the case in a lot of situations, not just SETI. And I, and it all just comes down to um, 
if you look at the UFO phenomena, it's just it always comes down to things like distance travel, the technologies and energy requirements for interstellar travel, and the old SETI, which is still around. Uh, they've contrived that, that if there's no doubt about it, they they all think and believe that there's life out there in some somewhere in the Milky Way galaxy or perhaps other galaxies, but them getting their UFOs and, and coming down here, um, I, I just, I, they don't just buy it. I think that's the problem. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not that SETI doesn't believe in aliens. It's that they don't believe that the aliens themselves have, have traveled to here and been, you know, abducting people for the last, you know, millennia. Mm-hmm. And that's what's funny is that that commonality, that belief in extraterrestrial intelligence is a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. you're talking about mainstream scientists. So, for instance, your project is really exciting to many scientists uh, you have found, and and so is a wow signal. I mean, yeah. they're really interested in the possibility of extraterrestrial intelligence. Well, it comes down to the math. You know, if you look at the, uh, the observable universe, you know, there's what? Ten septillion potential stars out there, and if you only take 1% of that, there are potentially uh, 100 billion planets out there, you know, in just our Milky Way alone. So it's an exciting time. It's only been, what, 1997, we found our first extrasolar planet. And now, you know, almost 20 years later, we're in the thousands, in the thousands of finding these planets. And some of them are probably Earth-like, hopefully. And so as technology grows, we're learning more about the universe and the math, you know, if... If all the things involved that that were required for us to be here, right, the sun, the earth, evolution, uh, time is important, and we do a comparative search of other objects that look like ours, a similar sun, similar planet, um, similar atmospheres and gravity, then the numbers are astro- astronomical, you know. Uh, so my personal belief is that there should be life out there. Um, and the only problem is, is distance, you know, it's mm-hmm. just so far away. I mean, it takes 10 years just to get to Pluto, right? <laughs> so yeah. imagine another star system. But you feel, I mean, uh, with your interest in the UFO field, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. assuming that you feel it is possible that there is an, uh, a civilization out there that's conquered that, that problem. It's yeah. The, there, there, there has to be, in my opinion, uh, and that's my personal opinion, that there has to be life in the universe in all stages of advancement or, or, or in their evolution. So we, there has to be life in the universe that are still microbial. There has to be life in the universe that are um, just getting out of their caves for, for intensive purposes speaking. There has to be life in the universe that are millions of years advanced from us. And that their their technology, if if they have technology, has to be far in advance in us. And so there has to be life out there in all stages of of what we call intelligent life. And who knows? Perhaps some have conquered uh, the the long distances of travel. You know, and um, it's it's we. I just have not seen it here. You know, there are conspiracies. Oh, they're here. They're hiding. We're not ready. That could be a fact. I'm not saying that's not true, but you know. Uh, just like you, I, I just want to know if they're here, why don't they, they make themselves known? Uh, and uh, more importantly, I want to know how did they get here? What was mm-hmm. the technology involved to, to to make it through those long journeys? Perhaps they were generational. Um, 
do our laws apply universally? I know the speed limit for us is, is the speed of light, but does that apply to other lives out there? Were they able to conquer that? So um, I'm really, you know, that's the, that's the excitement that I like is that you and I, we, you know, we're constrained to our beliefs, our maths, our science, our theories. That doesn't mean that something else out there has conquered those theories. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could be, do you think it could be that um, they are, they have been able to get here. It's just that we only can't, they only allow glimpses. Yeah, there's. That's a possibility. You know, there's there's people that say they could be uh, interdimensional theory. They're using time travel. Um, they're using portals like up in Utah. You know, I've heard those stories before. Um, multi-universes, they can just come and go and things like that. That's a possibility. You know, those are things I would love to entertain. The difficulty is trying to investigate and, and collect. Data is the important thing for me. The mm-hmm. data, I need data to to actually crunch and investigate and more importantly try to replicate that's what the science you know the whole science uh, cycle is is you experiment and that's unfortunately we just can't get that in the mm-hmm. UFO community you know we get the we get the interviews we we might collect some evidence like photographic or video maybe some trace evidence sometimes allegedly there's some radiation left behind but Sitting down and interviewing the alien or, or or looking at their actual spacecraft or mode of transportation is the part we're lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say, oh, the government's got it. It's hiding somewhere in, in, in Area 51. Um, that could be true. I'm not saying it's not true, but I have not seen it. Yeah, we don't have the data exactly. <laughs> I mean some people get frustrated because I've said several times um, uh, in interviews, and I think it's important to – the mainstream you say it very quickly that we don't have proof of something like alien abduction Mm. um we don't have that data but you know it a lot of people claim to be communicating with aliens so i mean it's a possibility um but we don't have that data yeah we have we have a lot of information we have a lot of and a lot of it's good a lot of it's crap you know you know know there's a lot of garbage on the internet but there's a lot of good data out there but you need more than data. Uh, you can come up all different hypotheses, like I did with my wow signal, right? That's just a hypothesis. That's good data. Mm-hmm. But I need to go to step two now, um, and that's actually look at the comets, track the comets, uh, see if they're they're emanating any signals. That there's my date. There's my evidence for like purposes and then deduce whether or not these guys were it. I don't have that in the UFO community. I don't have nothing to physically touch, analyze and, and, and determine whether this specific thing is extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hope who knows, maybe it's out there. Maybe someone's found it. Um, I, the only thing I can say is I have not personally seen it. My team has not seen it. And as far as I know, uh, MUFON has not seen it. They got, MUFON's got a lot of great cases and evidence and, uh, anecdotal evidence, but, uh, and I, I always like to leave it as um, when I visit the Smithsonian and there's an actual alien craft there, then we can close the shop. <laughs> yeah. So given that, uh, when your colleagues, and I'm sure it happens, ask you, why do you um, you know, take this UFO thing so seriously, what do you tell them? It's, it's, it's my passion. That's everyone has a passion. People like to scuba dive. People like to jump out of planes. <laughs> um, and I think that given my background in science and investigations, 
that I can contribute to to this. It's really a truly amazing phenomena, right? Um, it's 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 a cult now. There's a big following. There's it's almost like a, a religion. But the most important thing is when you have, for example, a retired FBI agent sit down with me and tell me, Antonio, I'm married. I love my job. I, I and and this is what I saw. I was not drunk. I was not tired driving throughout the night. This is what I saw. Can you please help me try to explain what it is? And when we're talking about like a a football-sized black triangle that's making zero noise, it's hovering, and his phone shuts off, his car shuts off. Um, you know, you want to say what? Okay, you want to you want to dig deeper and figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, thank you. I think we're about out of time, but this is so interesting. We'll definitely put the link to the GoFundMe um, in the page. And do you have another page where you have like your UFO research? Yeah, the uh, UFO research is aerial-phenomenon.org. Mm-hmm. Aerialphenomena.org. And I guess another thing just to mention, uh, uh, something else that you work on is education. Yeah, that's a big thing for me. In fact, next week, I, uh, at least once a week, I go to high schools, uh, elementary schools, Catholic schools, you name it. And there is uh, – in Florida, the, 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 the uh, Department of Education in Florida did a survey uh, statewide to see what interests the kids had in school. And space was their number one thing, astronomy and cool. space. And we've been doing so much outreach, talking about Mars – uh, talking about Jupiter, uh, the moon Io and Europa, uh, all the cool technologies in space. And recently now the wild signal. So I did my first talk last week at a, at a conference. And so, yeah, I love it's nothing. Nothing makes my day, uh, Alejandro, than watching a eight year old kid uh, looking through a telescope and seeing Saturn for the first time and saying, mm-hmm. this is what I want to do when I grow up. And mm-hmm. I'm like, holy cow. So I give him a book. I sign it for them. And those kids are really excited. Mm-hmm. And this outreach is all part of uh, the Center for Planetary Science? It's Center for Planetary Science and the Museum of uh, Science and Industry. So the, it's uh, both hats that I'm tackling for outreach. Okay. Well, awesome. It's such exciting stuff. Um, we'll have to stay in touch. Uh, it's really exciting to see, I mean, how much has happened for you in the last year. And uh, I've just been really delighted and I don't know if you've noticed, I've been tweeting and, and Facebooking all the stories about uh, your WOW Signal project yeah, that, that. Uh, have Great been coming stuff. across. So really appreciate it. Thank you yeah, so I'm much hope- for being on the show again. Hopefully next time we talk, we have an answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much to Antonio, or Professor Paris, I should say, for being on the show. What a cool name, Professor Paris. Sounds like a character on Doctor Who. I've been... Just binge-watching Doctor Who lately, which uh, has been wonderful. Thank you to Amazon. Anyway, uh, it was great to have him on the show to talk about his interests in UFOs and his project. Uh, It's so great that his project is getting so much media attention. So if right now you go Google the wow signal, you'll probably find the stories about him and his project, uh, especially if you click the news tab there. uh, You'll see... 
everything that he's up to right now. And so that's really cool. And it's cool that he has a genuine interest in UFOs uh, and, uh, you know, is curious about what's going on. So people like this, I think, are great advocates, especially people with backgrounds like his uh, for this field and helping us find new answers to this old phenomenon. So it's very exciting. Thank you so much. Uh, go and check out his Kickstarter and keep tabs on him. And maybe if you live in the area, uh, if you're in Florida, you can go check out his uh, Skywatch in January and be part of what may be history in the making. I mean, if they find out it's a comet, that'll be uh, big news and that'll be a part of the wow signal you know mythology or the story out there and uh, the wow signal is definitely something that interests media and uh, just uh, people out there all over the place because of uh, what it could represent but uh, as we talked about either way i think uh, the news is going to be very interested in their findings so it'd be fun to be a part of that in fact i'm going to be visiting florida for the first time in august that's right i have actually never been to florida before um and it sounds like a wonderful place so i'm excited to be going there i'll be going there for the mufon symposium and i'm going to be speaking about official government ufo agencies so these are agencies that governments sponsor throughout the world, uh, but at the reasons why these organizations have started are typically because of some incredible sightings. So uh, some really interesting history out there that I don't think many people know about. I mean, some just amazing sightings, sightings that are so amazing they caused their government to begin investigating the UFO phenomena. How cool is that? So uh, that'll be my first trip to Florida because the MUFON Symposium will be in Florida in late August. So you can check out MUFONSymposium.com for that or go to OpenMinds.tv and you'll be able to look on the events page and see more about that. Also at OpenMinds.tv, you're going to find all the news that Martin and I spoke of earlier in the show. You'll also find more information about that guy, that goofball shaving his head. He'll be a real goofball. His head will be like a, a cue ball. Um, and he's shaving his head, though, for an excellent reason to help children with leukemia. And at podcastufo.com, you can find out more about that. And go pledge some money. I did that myself. But, uh, yeah, go donate to this wonderful cause. Lots of stuff to donate to during the tax season here. Another plug, I mean, if you go to my Facebook, you'll find that uh, I'm getting, uh, trying to help raise money for uh, the Robotics Club at Red Mountain High School here in Mesa, Arizona, because uh, Rihanna, one of my best friends, and also my girlfriend's daughter, is part of the Robotics Club, and so they uh, very awesomely were able to win their regionals this last weekend, and they're going to go to the world competition, but they need some money to pay for travel and everything but uh, they always need some money because these robots are expensive to build but really cool stuff you can find out more about that at my Facebook <laughs> so yeah get out the checkbook and start writing some checks or actually these days you just click some buttons online and send your money to and fro uh, I should know because I'm doing this all the time as many of us probably are but you do not have to spend money to listen to this radio show how wonderful. 
is that. And I am so happy that you all do come and listen to the show. Um, I'm also very grateful to Caleb Hanks, who does the opening and close music, and um, to everyone else involved. So thank you. That means you, the listener. Yeah, you sitting there, or you driving on the road, or you typing and doing something exciting at work, or most likely not exciting at work. I apologize for that. But um, thank you all very much for listening, and we will be back next week with another spectacular guest. So we'll see you next week. Adios, muchachos. <laughs>